0: valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands it's probably worth holding on to this is immaterial treasures i'm your host danphy parker thank you for tuning in welcome to immaterial treasures this is danphy parker your host and today i have Braden quick Thank you, Danfie. Thank you. <laughs> Some, of you, you here. <laughs> Some of you guys are probably thinking, who's Braden Quick? Anyways, Braden Quick is one of my really, Amy and I's uh, really good friend. We met about almost five years now, over five years now. We met at church uh, downtown, and that's how we became friends. Um, and we've st- um, stayed in touch ever since. And he actually lives up the street from me, which is amazing. Um, Braden and I talk about a lot of things. He's been an accountability partner to me, a friend in, uh, in other ways. And it's been great getting to know him. Recently, Braden's been taking seminary courses and he's been taking a course on the church. So I thought, hey, why don't we talk about the church and kind of go through what the church is and what it stands for, how we should think about the church. So, Braden is, he just came on to talk and welcome, Braden. Thank you, Danfi. Glad to be
1: here. You know, it maybe sounds like a bit of a boring topic. The church, I think in a lot of people's minds, they're probably thinking about an old building on the corner. Where people go to, on Sunday morning, maybe in their best suit, if they're really thinking you know, years back or certain churches. But um, there's a whole lot more to the church. So one thing I think it's important to say as we go through the points here is that this isn't an exhaustive list, right? We're touching on a bunch of the high-level points as to what the church is, but not everything the church is. There's a whole lot more, but unfortunately, we're limited by the amount of time in the podcast here. But the things we're covering are basic historical Orthodox Christian belief. That are it's supported by scripture. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through all the scripture supporting these ideas on the podcast, but we're not putting forward any new ideas here. So I just think it's important to mention, for the sake of time.
0: Yeah. So so I want to I want to start our conversation off with a, a really brilliant quote by Leslie Newbegin. Uh, this quote is from his book the Gos- The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society. And I quote: "The church is an entity which has outlasted many states, nations, and empires, and it will outlast those that exist today." The church is nothing other than the movement launched into the public life of the world by its sovereign Lord to continue that which he came to do until it is finished in his return and glory. It has his promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In spite of its crimes, blunders, compromises, and errors by which its story has been stained and is stained to this day, the church is the great reality in comparison with which nations and empires and civilizations are passing phenomenon the church can never settle down to being a voluntary society concerned merely with private and domestic affairs. It is bound to challenge in the name of the Lord, all the powers, ideologies, myths, assumptions, and worldviews, which do not acknowledge him as Lord. If that involves conflict, trouble, and rejection, then we have the example of Jesus before us and his reminder that a servant is not greater than his master, End quote. I read that quote years ago, and it's, it's brilliant. And I think The reason why it's so brilliant is because there are a lot of critics of the church. I, myself, before I became a Christian, I was a critic of the church. But one of the things that this quote encapsulates is that all the critics of the church will not outlast the church. Because the church is established by God and will remain until Jesus comes back. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't leave or it doesn't move because of people's wishes for it to be to disappear or people's dislikes with it. And yes, people have had legitimate criticism about the stains that the church has brought about in society. However, um, the church is Jesus's idea; it's God's idea, and it will remain. And God purifies it in many ways. So I've I've always I've always liked that quote because I, I knew that it's me being part of a church is being part of something that will outlast me. But will eventually bless me in life now and the life to come. So we wanted to talk about exactly what the church entails, right? And uh, we wanted to give you three points that the church should represent. Essentially, the church should be doing these three things: it worships God, it evangelizes, and it cares for the poor. Now, it should be doing these three things in harmony with one another. And when one dissolves, it becomes it makes it renders the church irrelevant or lacking power. Today, we're going to um, talk about these three points, but really we've put it in two major points. Um, the first one is evangelism, and the second one is the worship of the church. Braden's going to introduce the two different topics, and we're going to go right into it and talk about just the functions of what the church is and how it, it ought to be you know, functioning. Yeah, so really the, the two buckets, I think, are evangelism, as you said, Danphy,
1: and worshiping God. And we'll start with evangelism. I think it's maybe the uh, the easiest topic in a sense but it's also a challenging topic because I think when a lot of people think about evangelism, they think about, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. I'm going to go knock on some doors or hand out some pamphlets. Um, mm. I, it's funny. I remember when I lived downtown, there was an old gentleman on the street corner of uh, Young and Dundas, and he handed out some pamphlets, and he said, believe every time you walk by. <laughs> <laughs> and I still think about this guy. And yeah, I admire his faithfulness, right? He was He was doing what he could. But evangelism isn't just telling people about Jesus, although that's a large part of it, proclaiming pe- proclaiming to people what Jesus has done, his death and his resurrection, the good news of the kingdom of God, that man can be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. Um, but the church also has to show the good news. They have to show the gospel because we're called to love our neighbor. And loving our neighbor isn't simply seeing someone that's hungry and saying, repent and believe and going your own way, right? We're, we're called to... To show God's love, Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, we see Jesus had a a real heart for the poor and needy, right? And in Matthew, we can read about on Judgment Day, one of the things will they'll be looked at is, were we feeding the sick? Were we giving water to those who are thirsty? That what we do to the least of these people, uh, Jesus says we do unto him. So there's a call for us not just to tell people about Jesus, but to just genuinely serve the poor because they're needy, even if they don't, you know, accept Jesus as who he said he was as Lord. And so, you know, there's there's good news here for people to to receive, but we're to show God's love because we, he first loved us, right? He came to us when we were in need and we're to go to others and help them in need. And so it's two sides of the same coin. I think it's easy for people to feel like, hey, I can't, I don't have the skills to evangelize or to t- share the good. News. It's not just telling people, right? We're not all well-spoken, but it's about showing God's love to people and, and we're called to do both of these things. And so, you know, serving the poor, and and telling them the good news, that they're interconnected because God wants to uh, restore the whole person, right? He's not just concerned with our spiritual um, situation; mm-hmm. um, he's concerned about our needs too, right? Our basic basic needs, and so. Yeah. That's to, that's what we're called to as the church.
0: And it's good because like um it's, it's it's we have these false dichotomies that like oh we know we just need to take care of the per, the person's spirit and forget their, But I think we're a whole person. Nobody goes around saying that, oh, "I'm just I, I'm just a spirit, I'm just a spirit." No, you're, you you have a body, you have all these so it's like if someone's going to come and um deal with you as a person, they have to deal with all that you are, right? And that's how God is. God just doesn't he made us that way. We're a whole we're an integrated person. We're not just like segments of like, you know, flesh and spirit and bones. And no, we're all together. And that's what he cares about. Um, it's funny you talked about the evangelism and what evangelism looks like. I think what, because there's other religions that do evangelism. So Islam love, they proselytize, right? Or Judaism and Mormonism, whatever it is, those um, other faiths, they also believe in evangelism and whatnot. But what's different from those faiths or should be different from those faced with the Christian one. And evangelism is that evangelism is like this. It's like a it's a casting a blanket, right? You, we go out and we proclaim a good news. We proclaim the reality of what Jesus has done. We cast this blanket of the gospel. Now people are free to let that blanket cover them or to shrug it off, right? We don't force feed um, the gospel to people. Uh, it's not like a flu shot where we go around administering to people. Oh, If you get this, you're safe. Um, because with that, you get clever when you think of evangelism as like force feeding or a flu shot, then you get clever in how to get people to, to take it. So it's like, okay, you know, when you're feeding a baby and the baby doesn't want to eat anymore. So you start doing things to kind of like making noises or distracting the kids so that they're open their mouth. Then you put the food in there. It's like, I accomplished my goal. That's not what the uh, preaching the gospel is. That's what evangel, that's not what evangelizing is. In fact, the gospel is a reality that people need to come into. They need to know what they're doing. You know, they just, we can't just tell them, just get this flu shot. So you, you, you avoid hell, right? No, we want them to see Jesus as he is. We want that news to affect their lives and they're also free to reject it. And that's the beauty of what God has done with this message is that he has called us to cast out the net of the gospel and, and leave the rest to him. Right. Um, And people, how people respond is up to them. So yeah, yeah, I think that's really good. And I mean the church itself as an as an organization has abilities because
1: it's an organization, right? Because it's a structure to be able to serve the poor and serve the needy, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just a bunch of individual people. Okay, if everyone in the world that's a Christian gives 20 bucks to someone. No, the, the church is able to accomplish things because it's a group of of believers. Um, if you look at even just basic examples like early hospitals, they were started by Christian organizations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how many, how many hospitals, you know, are, are Catholic hospitals, right? They were, they're started by the church to serve people. So you have an ability to serve people. And we're going to talk about this more when we talk about, uh, worship, but the, the church is the body of Christ, right? It's the body, it's the hands and feet of Jesus. So when the church is serving, it's not just the church on its own serving people. It's Christ serving through the church, mm-hmm. Right it's, and God is moving through the church to help people. So like, it's like, if if I'm really needy and I'm praying, Lord, Lord, you know, I don't have my next meal, please provide my meal. A pizza doesn't just appear on my table out of thin air and like, Whoa, God gave me this pizza. No, it's like, you know, someone from the church. Hey, I heard you. You know, you need some food. Here's some food, right? That's how God works. He works through through church and through other people. He doesn't. Right. He doesn't just poof give us what we're asking for, right? And so the church is the hands and feet of Jesus that responds to people's needs. That's a good point. And we, this, is, this is and this is what we see in Acts. Right? People were selling their property, selling their land, giving to the apostles to distribute to the needy among them. Right? Mm-hmm. So God used this organization of the church to to serve the people.
0: It's and interesting when you started, Braden, You said evan- when you said, "Okay, so evangelism is proclaiming and, and showing the gospel of Jesus Christ." Why is it that you think evangelism and helping the poor are interconnected and that they're, they're inseparable? Because most of the time, you find these conversations where most churches feel like, "Oh, we're just here to preach the gospel," and like in saying that, they're like, "We don't want to get into these social acts," right? And then there's other churches who really get into social acts, but then they don't preach the gospel. But for you, when you presented it, you presented it as a unison, like it's like two sides of one coin, right? Why is it that that's, that's important to know? Well, I think even if you just go back, you know, biblically, right? These maybe like,
1: I'm going to use a stereotypical fundamental evangelical church that's like, you know, accept Jesus and it's evangelism and very much focused on, you know, just telling people. But if you look at Scripture, when Christ went around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, it was accomplished by meeting people's physical needs. Right? He mm. healed people. He healed the sick. If you look at the Acts of the Apostles, what do we see? We see miracles taking place. We see people being healed and people's physical needs being met at the same time as their spiritual needs. Mm. God was com- was meeting people their whole person, as you said, not just their their spirit, spiritual side of them of them. And so, and if you look at the early church, why did the early church grow? The early church grew because People saw how different this society was. It saw people, different people taking care of one another and mm-hmm. serving each other. And that was Christ working in the church, right? And so I think if we just look at history, if we look at scripture, we see that this is this is critical. And, and we read in John, in John 13, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, mm-hmm. right? And what does love look like practically, mm-hmm. right? Love practically looks like helping people that are in need. How can I say I love you? By just saying, Well, I I told you the gospel, so that shows I love you. Well, it's like when you think about it, when you give someone something, right, that they need, you're sacrificing, right? If if you need money, if you need food, and I'm giving to you, I'm sacrificing. It's self sacrificial, just like Christ sacrificed for us, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you think about it, Christ sacrificed himself on the cross in our place. And when we are called to love people and serve people, by serving them where they're at in terms of their physical needs, there's a sacrifice that's required from us, right? Whether it's giving them food or a place to stay or whatever the case may be, that's demonstrating Christ's love, right? Christ's love is sacrificial love. That's true love. And the people see that. They see it's sacrificial and they can see well the difference, right? It's We're not doing it out of you know, just reluctance. We're doing it because Christ first loved us. And so that's why it's two sides of the same coin. It's not one or the other. And and it's challenging, right? It's challenging for me. I know it's challenging for you because it's not something we do enough of. Right. Um, it's tough with COVID. I mean, we're able to f- financially support organizations, of course, but it's tough right now, you know, to physically serve. But um,
0: yeah. Our relationship actually is purely based on being in the same church. Like we would have never crossed paths if we didn't meet in the church. Like if yes, yes, you're living downtown, I'm in like in this other place, like we're just completely in two different worlds. But when we came under the banner of the gospel, now our worlds have crossed. and Now we have like a mutual commitment to each other, you know, because we're under the umbrella of the gospel, right? So that that's even interesting on how we met, right? Like, And that's one of the things about the church is that there are, I think there's a quote, I forget what it says, but the quote essentially says that the church is actually made up of natural enemies. And what the guy's trying to get at is that, The church is full of people that would actually never be friends if it wasn't for Christ bringing them together. Because we naturally gravitate towards people that are like us and have the same kind of worldview or do the same things as that. But the church isn't established on those bases, right? Anybody from any walks of life can be there. Um, even social classes, right, can be in the same umbrella and take care of each other. So it's a good point that you bring up with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're bound together in in that love, right? That's that, and we'll talk about it a bit more when we go through through worship. But the one thing I just I just wanted to add, though, on um, evangelism is the gospel is not just about individual salvation, mm-hmm. right? It's not just about me and Jesus. Mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. just because a lot of times it's about well, it's about your personal relationship with Jesus, but it's about a lot more than that, right? There's a bigger story taking place. Where God is restoring creation, He's re- and He's reconciling humanity to Himself as His kingdom advances. So God's mission involves reconciling humanity to Himself, and it's possible because of what Christ has done for us. And so, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a much bigger story taking place. It's not simply about you know everyone's individual salvation and they're an individual standing for God. No, there's God's restoring creation and reconciling creation, and He's and He's using His church to to accomplish this, right? that's his his chosen primary chosen means so you know it and so it's important for churches to to share the and teach the gospel but also for churches to do that social action
0: where they're demonstrating what Christ has done self sacrificial love Right, so so you're saying essentially that it's more important to see yourselves as part of a group of people than as just like okay, Jesus saved me and He wants me to be a better person, and I'm going to do that in the privacy of my own home in my own way. Um, I'm going to live morally, take care of my family, and that's it. Yes, yes, uh,
1: most certainly. And you can just read the scripture,
0: read Acts,
1: and see how people were living. Right, like it's it's demonstrated for us in the early church, and God uses His church, right? Uh, iron sharpens iron. He, he uses us to support one another, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all want to hear from God, right? We want to experience God's love. Will we do that in the church, in those relationships we have with one another in the church, we disciple one another in the church. So these are all things we're going to talk about I guess, more here as we talk about worshiping God, but these things all happen in the church, the body
0: of Christ. And it's where Christ is present and, and working in his people. So the first point we just hit up on was uh evangelism, preaching the good news and taking care of the uh poor, orphans and widows, going out and doing acts of kindness and, and feeding the poor and caring for their needs and whatnot. We're gonna get into the second point, which is worship God and lead creation into worship. But before we get to that, I wanna say that part of like this this one point is kind of connected between point one and two. It says like so when we when we cast the net of the gospel, we bring people in, right? So when Jesus met the disciples, one of the first things he's told them, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? The disciples prior to, most of the disciples prior to following Jesus were fishermen. So they would have understood what that meant, right? Okay, so we're going to cast this net. We're going to bring fish in, um, but it's going to be men. And for fishermen, they, whatever you bring into that net is what you deal with. Fish come in all different types of sizes and there's some that are more mucky, some of their some that are clean. It doesn't matter. Well, you just deal with what's in the net. So I think that that picture that Jesus gave the disciples is really indicating that when we cast the the net of the gospel to the world, whatever that whatever that net brings in, we deal with. So if that person comes in and they're rough around the edges, or that person comes in and they're super rich, whatever person that comes in, like the gospel is enough to deal with whatever it catches. And it's not because we are strong enough or we are wise enough, but the one who gives us the power and the one who brings in um, what's in the net is the one that's able to deal with what's in the net and he uses us to do so. So as we go into this next point, let that be like in the frame of thinking. So, cause we're about to go into number two, which is talks about the the church exists to worship God and to lead creation into worship.
1: Yeah, so these people that, Come in, and it's we obviously don't save people, you know, God saves people, God Mm -hmm. brings people in. But the church is to lead these people to worship Him, the church is to direct people to proper worship. Mm -hmm. So the church directs us to properly worship God above all things because our standard state we're, I mean, we're sinful humans, right? This is the basics of the gospel we're sinful humans and we worship not God by default, right? We worship ourselves or our family or our money or our status or our materialism. Like We we struggle to worship God. And I'm going to read a quote from David Foster Wallace, who's not a Christian, okay? He's not a Christian, but he, this is what he says. Here's something else that's weird that, but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some invulnerable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. and When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, etc. I think David Foster Wallace hits the nail on the head. And I mean, he's not the only person to say things like this. Tim Keller really talks about this in, in his books. Um, but it's interesting because David's not a Christian. and So I think that's the thing. We all struggle. And even as Christians, right? We struggle even as Christians with putting God first Mm -hmm. in our lives. Mm -hmm. I struggle with putting God first in my life. There's competing things. Hey, I just had a son a year ago, Henry, and that's a competing love in my life. I I love Henry, of course, and we're called to love our children and to put them before ourselves, right? But I have to love God most, you know? Mm -hmm. He has to be the thing that drives me, not Henry. Because if I love Henry more than I love God and Henry lets me down, you know, I'm going to be devastated. But God's the one... It's always there for me. And he's worthy of my love because he's my creator. And so, but we need to be reminded of that constantly. You know, we need to be reminded. And that's why being part of the church is so critical because it directs us to proper worship, you know, and that's why being part of the body of Christ in the church is, it's an ongoing thing. It's not like I go, you know, I go once a month, I get my fill. I need to constantly be reminded, you know, we have um, Zoom prayers right now, uh, morning prayers. It's just 10 minutes. Um, it's it, but it's every weekday morning, and for me spiritually, it's been so critical to orient myself towards God. You know, first thing in in the morning, it's like a spiritual nourishment, that you know, along with my Bible reading, my own prayer life. It it's it's just with the body, right? It's and our corporate prayer together is just so critical. And I never appreciated that before. You know, COVID and and doing this, but that's just one example of how how the church does this. There's obviously the obvious ones like preaching the word. Um, we sing worship to God, you know, there's the Lord's Supper, where we partake in the, in the bread and the juice or the wine, and focus and center ourselves on Christ. And depending on your perspective, or your tradition, you know, Christ is present, in some sense, in that, and, and he nourishes us
0: spiritually. And so the church directs us to properly worship God. And it's really important. One of the things I think is so profound about the quote, he said, it's not about whether or not you're going to engage in worship. He says, no, by nature of being human, you are worshiping. It's just the only choice you have is what you're going to worship, right? So it's it's like the church is not necessarily introducing a foreign idea of like, come worship. No, the church is telling you how, like you just went through. How, this is how we worship. This is how we properly worship. This is how we benefit from the worship of God, right? Because all those other things you listed in that quote will ultimately destroy us. So the things you've listed, the sacraments, like, you know, through the, the preaching of the word, singing, the Lord's Supper, all those things are there to help us to properly align and connect with God, right? And in other ways is just in the practicality of our life, you know, being quiet and kind of the solitary of like prayer and and reading the Bible and, and, and spending and hanging out with um, other Christians or whoever it may be. That's also a form of like worship to God, right? We're, I think we have this idea that worship just has to do with music and singing, you know? when it's much larger than that, it's it's really the life. It's the posture of the body, the mind, and the heart towards God. And it's not just about responding to a song.
1: Yeah, Romans 12, we read, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What's pleasing to God is how we live our lives, Mm -hmm. right? It's loving our neighbor, loving God. This is what is the worship he he wants from us, and we read that throughout Scripture, right? Um, it's it's not it's not a secret, but we have to orient ourselves towards God. And I was just thinking about how, when God created Adam and Eve, He created them communing with Him, right? They were with God, and they were able to have proper relationship and worship. And we've been created to worship God. He's created us as beings that worship, mm. right? You don't have to be a Christian to see that all of us worship something, right? We've been created to worship God, and so the only way we're the only place that we're going to be satisfied, be find that fulfillment in in what we need is worshiping God, which the church, you know, brings us into that that right place with Him. Um, but obviously, we're not doing it just because of well, this is what I need, so I'm going to do this. But we're doing it in view of God's mercy, as we read in Romans, right? Because Christ first loved us, and it's our response, it's our natural response. So. Yeah, I think it's it's critical.
0: So on the topic of worship, as we talk about the topic of worship, I I, want to ask the question. So because people, usually the phrase like, oh, where do you worship? Where's your place of worship? And then people are indicating like what church you go to, what physical building you go to, where's the location and all those things. Can we talk about what is the church? Like, is it a building or is it the people in the building? So when we say, where do you worship? Like, what 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 do people mean like when they make those kind of statements? Like, how should we be thinking about the church? Like the you know the term, the church is God's people. You know, right. Jesus said, "We're two
1: or th- we're two two or we two or more gathered. Two mm-hmm. or 3 we're two or more. Two or more gathered. You know, He He's in our midst, right? And so, the church is God's people, uh, and it's not a building. I think that that's important. Hopefully, people have picked up on that. Um, this far along in the podcast but if they haven't and you know what's crazy
0: even he's like okay so even the Greek word uh, she would know the ecclesia um, which is like uh, the church the term Really is about the called. It's never when it when that word is used. It's never in, inferring or referring to a building where people meet. It's talking about individuals that have called out of something and have been brought together. Right. So the church is like a is an is is a is a reality that affects all of the world, but it's not confined to a building. And I think this becomes even more important in the time of COVID, because yes. we can't go to church, right? And then everybody's like, yeah. "Well, we can't have church." It's like, "Whoa, wait a minute." So if we can't meet in a building, and I'm again I'm I'm being, you know, this is this is also like a conviction for myself because it's like you kind of by default think, oh yeah, well the church is closed, so I don't have to engage in not that I think this way, but maybe you get comfortable like I don't have to go to church or I don't have to engage with people from church, but that's not what it's about. The church was it's not oh, about
1: going to church or right. having church. Right? right. It's neither of those two things. It's a
0: we are the church. Right, right, right. So, so by nature of me meeting with you and another brother, could we say that's a reality of the church to an extent? I mean, it dep- depends on your ecclesiology
1: and in your view of what the church is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we look at early Christianity, we see that there was a structure that was put into place. Mm-hmm. If you look at the early church, there were bishops, right? There was an organ, there was a physical organization, right? So, I you know, I, I don't think it's hey. I just became a Christian. My friend just became a Christian. We're now a church, the two of us. We don't need right. to go to any other church. Right. We're, we are our own church. Right. right. I, so I, and obviously this is, you know, depending on your t- uh, faith tradition, you know, you're going to have a little bit of a different view on this, right. A bab- Baptists are going to say, Hey, we're independent. We're not part of, you know, and you're going to have go to Roman Catholicism. You know, we, we are the church. We're the one true church. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have some lost brethren that have separated from us. Um, so you're going to have a, a, but I think that there's, pro- I think we can say there's a general agreement that the church is, it's not a building, you know, it's God's people. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately there's division in the church, right? And I mean, Christ's prayer in John is that we will, that we are one as, mm-hmm. as Christ and the father are one. And so I think it grieves God that we are separated the way we are. And I think that ties into the mixed track record of the church. It's very mixed. Mm -hmm. There's been some terrible evils that have been performed by the church all over the world. Right. Even today, even probably, you know, this hour Mm -hmm. and it's sad. Mismanagement
0: of funds, you know, sexual abuse. abuse, Yeah. All those things.
1: You go back, you know, wars, inquisition, like it, it's, there's a reflection of the fallen nature of man in the church and the imperfect nature of man in the church, without a doubt. And, I guess the question is, well, what makes the church the church? Is it a perfect track record? Is that what makes the church a church? Because if I look at any individual Christian, we all struggle with sin, mm-hmm. right? There, we all, and and there's people that claim to be Christians and their life don't really bear it out, right? But they're part of the, they're, the, you know, the, and that's where the concept of there's a there's a church, but within the the visible church, Christ knows who's truly His followers, mm-hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, you can have people that aren't truly his followers within the church. Look at Judas, right? Look at Judas, who was one of the 12 disciples, right? He was Mm -hmm. one of, let's just say, I'm not going to say the early, you know, the early church in a sense, it was before Christ died, but, you know, the followers of Christ, right? Jesus followers. Mm -hmm. And he betrayed Jesus and he committed evil. From the very, very beginning of Christianity, there was a betrayal you know, the t- t- taking of someone's life essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, and if you read the the acts of the apostles, you'll see the, um, the tension that was already in the church and the, and the, the debates and some of the bad things that were happening and sexual misconduct and people we throw, right. It's, it's from the very beginning. So there isn't a, in, in scripture, there isn't a story that, Hey, this church is going to be perfect.
0: Right. Uh, and it's interesting you say that because um, I think one of the things that need to be, I think you, you said, okay, okay. When, Three random people get together, and it's like, oh, now we're a church because we're two or three are gathered in my name. There I am, right? It's like, yeah, that is true in a sense, like the the living stones are there, but at the same time, there is a structure. We have elders and pastors and deacons, these people who administer the word, um, who've been gifted in ways to benefit the church, the body, right? So then you need structure, and I think in some the way you've you've described it, it's almost like the structure kind of almost helps us find the wolves right? It helps us snap out, you know, when um, little things go wrong. But if there's a lack of structure, then people get away with a lot, right? And even within some of our structures, some of our structures may be flawed in the way we, based on your ecclesiology, right? But at the same time, it's better to have structure than no structure. And another aspect of, like, just the nature of the church is that our highest ethic within the church is our love and commitment to one another. And that's why I think people have a hard time seeing is that maybe where there's disagreements or where there's misunderstandings or where there's betrayal, you don't often see people persevering with one another, right? They'd rather, they split they go their own way or they're like, I'm done with the church. Yeah. Right. Whereas like, like you quoted earlier, Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another, and it doesn't just mean by how well you get along, but how committed you are to each other when you don't get along. Do you yeah, know what I mean? yeah, most certainly. And yeah. and I think that's that's that should be emphasized, and, and is 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 of greater importance than all the other things we get caught up in, right? And and another thing about just the church and the people within it is that we we also need to have a, uh, just an understanding of the fact that. Like you talked about the stains and the blunders that's happened within the church. We need to have an understanding of that. You can describe the people in the church as redeemed people that are also being redeemed. So if you walk into any church, any church on the planet, I promise you, everybody in there is not perfect. In fact, not one person from the pastor to the smallest person is, is, is excused or uh, incapable of committing a huge blunder. But... They're in that fellowship because they've been redeemed by what Christ has done on the cross and they've come into fellowship by what Christ has done, not what they've done for themselves. And they're being redeemed by the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So when you walk into a church, I know sometimes I've walked in churches when I felt like, man, this church seems really clean. It seems like people in here have never done anything wrong, right? And I think most unbelievers, when they they're afraid to go to church because they feel like, well, when I step in there... I'm going to burn out because everybody in there is so holy. You're just going to judge me. Yeah, everyone's going to judge me. When it's like, no, if you walk into any church and you're a sinner, you don't know God, and you've done the worst thing, when you walk in there, you're walking into a group of people that have been redeemed and are being redeemed. So that makes it easier for you to come into that, knowing that you can be redeemed as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And and one of the things I
1: think about is how, you know, it's not the church's track record. Like If it was, if I was chosen by god you know to to be to receive the gift of salvation it's not of my own works right it's not because i've done anything to earn it Mm -hmm. i'm i'm an imperfect sinner and in the same way that christ chooses me and reveals himself to me christ chooses the god chooses the church right god chooses the church not because of what the church has done but because of what he has done and God uses the church because it's where Christ is present. It's the body of Christ. It's it's because He's chosen it that it's the church mm. and that it's being used by God. It's not because of the church's accomplishments in and of itself. It's because He's chosen it, just like God chose Israel, mm. right, to be His people. Not because of what Abraham had done. Not because of what the nation. You know, what Moses said that. No, God ch- just chose. He reaches into time and space. He takes the particular to reach. The you know the rest. Mm. He chooses a particular time and place. Jesus came into a particular time and place, and that's how he reaches people. That's how he reaches the world. And so, just like he chose Israel to reach the other nations, and they failed, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Israel failed. Mm-hmm. In the same way, Christ used, is using the church. I believe the church is going to accomplish the mission, but with failures along the way, right? Right. Uh, but but it's going to accomplish the mission because Christ is, is present, and God's chosen it to accomplish His mission. Um, but ultimately, we know. That this perfect church that we're looking for isn't going to be in our current, you know, world state and and lifetime. It's going to be once Christ returns and he separates the sheep from the goats and he separates the true believers from those who aren't. And he purifies his church. And then we will have the perfect church that we all so desperately want. But Mm. it's not because of the church's deeds that it's being used by God. No, it's the opposite. It's being used by God despite its imperfection because he chooses it and because Christ is present there. And so, um, you know, and and unfortunately, some people are, might be listening to this and they've been really hurt by the church, and, and I'm sorry for that. You know, I think a lot of people have been hurt from the church, whether in a small way or a large way. Although this is a case, it doesn't mean that we completely write off the church as a whole, although perhaps a certain congregation might not be the right place to be if, if that is the case. It kind of makes me think about an organi- organization like the Red Cross. You know, even if you're not a Christian, you can see that the Red Cross does a lot of good. But if there was an outpost in some country and the person overseeing it for the Red Cross was trading the, the food for money for himself, he's obviously a bad person. But that doesn't mean the Red Cross as a, a whole is bad, even though there is there are people that do wrong inside the church. And I've done serious evils corporately and it to people individually throughout time in the church. And I think it's still something that we can struggle with, though. It's something that I've struggled with. The, the, the way that I've kind of thought about it is that there's only really one way that I think God would allow this to happen. And it's, it's twofold. And it's something that's taught in scripture. One is that God, God will judge. He will judge the people in the church that do wrong and do not turn and repent from their wrong. They, he is going to ensure that justice is done for, for um, the wrongs that are done in the church. And the second thing is that for those that have been hurt by the church, he promises to restore us and to heal us and to make us whole, and it ultimately comes to fruition upon Jesus' return and the resurrection of our bodies into a new body. But we are promised to be made whole, and He's pro- so He promises to make the wrongs right, and so that's the promise I think that makes it something that you know we can move past, hopefully. Um, but for those people that have been hurt by the church. Please, you know, find a way to be reconciled. Maybe it's not to that specific congregation, but there's other congregations. There's different traditions and, and locations of believers that you can be a part
0: of. That's a good point. And just to affirm what you said, I think it's important to note that people who have been hurt by people in the church need to realize that just because you've been hurt by a person doesn't mean now you avoid people because you don't want to be hurt. In fact, our greatest our greatest and deepest pain comes through people, but are also our greatest and deepest healing and and recovery and, and and blessings come through people as well right so people are can be perpetrators of evil and they can also be perpetrators of good and all that so yeah no that's a good point you bring up Braden. um
1: you know we're called to to a serious of uh, high standard um but that's why we need so we need God's spirit right and and that's what we need to be as people and so um yeah so for, if anyone's listening and and they have been hurt then I would encourage you to well it's to speak to someone uh, you know that's a believer in it and and talked and and get off your chest right like if someone's been hurt and they're and they're harboring something that's not a reason to to be separated from the body of Christ mm-hmm. you know um
0: yeah well said and and it's 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 good the way you said it because um even the the practice of forgiveness and the practice of learning to be all that God has called us to be, to be followers of Christ is, is what there's a component within the church where Jesus talked about us going to all the nations, right. And at the end of Matthew, yeah. um, sharing the gospel and um, discipling discipleship. So it's like, is that an element of the church that hasn't really been, I mean, like recognized discipleship. That is, I'm talking about uh, um, being discipled and creating disciples. So, um, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't disciple someone if you yourself haven't been discipled. And mm-hmm. I found that even when I came to church, I'm not, I'm not sure there was like, um, how do I even put this? Okay. So even with like most of the time, not, I'm not speaking for all churches, but you don't have, when you become a Christian, there's not like, okay, I'm a young man. And there's, there's about 15 older men that have been walking with Christ for a while. And it's like, okay, Danfie, we're going to put you with this guy, he's going to disciple you. You know, there's not that you don't see that a lot. And it's like, unfortunately, unfortunately. And I know some churches have it, but it's like, that should be a reality within the church because Christ said, you know, we're supposed to go out, preach the gospel and create disciples, be disciples and create disciples. You know, why do you Let's talk about that one for a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, well, first thing that comes to mind is, you know, I think a lot of people, and just going to the beginning, they see church as a place they go, right? I go to this church Mm -hmm. on Sundays and I get fed spiritually. It's a consumeristic culture that we have, right? We have Outside of the church, we have a consumeristic culture, right? right? And inside the church, unfortunately, we have a consumeristic culture where people, they see, you know, I'm checking my box. For some people, it's, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. And why? Well, I go to church every Sunday, you know? Yeah. And even beyond that, I think you have genuine Christians, but they they want to go to a church where they have good preaching. They got good worship, you know? Maybe there's a smoke machine. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing because we know it's true. Yeah. No offense to anyone that goes to a church with a smoke machine, you know, it doesn't mean that you have a bad church, but maybe you do. I don't know. You bet there's some other questions to ask. But anyway, uh, and, and so you people go to church, and, but they also say, "Well, I want to serve God, right? I want to serve God. Maybe I'll go on the and I'll be a greeter, you know, or mm. or something, right? Like we think about serving God as being on one of the duty, one of the duties in the church, and I think the church is always. A lot of them are strapped for volunteers, so it's like you have to serve the church, serve Christ, you know, mm. be on the sound team. And I know because I, I was just one of those people telling, ask people to come on the sound team. But you know what? In reality, what's the what's the impactful thing that we can do is to to be a brother or sister to a fellow Christian, right? We're called to be brothers and sisters. What do family do? They support each other. They bring each other along. Mm. And we're to bring along other Christians. And I, the thing that's nice about this is it doesn't really matter, you know, unless you're a brand, brand new Christian, um, you know, even if you're maybe you've been a Christian for a couple of years, well then you can partner with a brand new Christian, right? And a, and a really mature Christian can partner with, a, you know, a three year, like there's always someone that you can help. And we all need help. We're all struggling with sin, mm-hmm. right? We're all struggling to follow Jesus. And so praying together, reading the word together, um, and just being present in each other's lives, you know, and, and encouraging one another, but you got to go deep for some of these things, right? It's, it's, it's not always easy to, to, to share what we're struggling with and, and speaking truth and we got to prioritize getting into God's word. Right. But um, this is how we serve. Right. And when we serve, what, as I said in Matthew, you know, we read what we do for the least of, of these, what we do for our brothers and sisters, we're doing it unto Christ. When we serve one another, we're doing it under Christ because we're all part of the Christ body, right? Mm-hmm. If I serve you, Danfee, I'm I'm in, in Christ's view, in God's view, I'm serving Christ. And so if we want to serve God, we have to serve one another. That's that love for one another we're called to show, right? And so we're called to create disciples and, and it it should be a cycle in a sense, right? Where we're creating disciples who then create disciples, who then create disciples and we bring each other to maturity in Christ.
0: That's what we're called to do. That's a good point. Uh, oftentimes when we talk, like in our personal conversations, you talk about, you always make the uh, the point of people should go to church in their neighborhood. Why do you think that is? You always make that point. <laughs>
1: because I think that humans are inherently, so there's a lot of reasons, but at least for me, humans are inherently selfish, right? And not that everyone's selfish, right? But we have limited, we also have unlimited limited time, mm-hmm. right? We have limited time. And I think it's important to not put stumbling blocks between us and being part of a church and serving in a church and being part of a community. And if I go to a church that's two hours away, I'm probably not gonna be able to connect with my friend Steve, you know, who lives two hours away. I'm probably not going to be able to make it to that Bible study because it's such a far drive. But not only that, if if proclaiming the gospel is telling people, not just telling people, but showing God's love and serving them, you know, And we want to serve the people around the church. Well, that's another, now I got to go that far to serve people. So, you know, we want to be a a light in the neighborhood, Mm. right? To the people of the neighborhood that, hey, this is a place where people have been reconciled to God. And you can be reconciled to God too. We have good news here at this place. And, you know, I have neighbors, right? I want to be able to invite them to this place that that I meet with God's people and with God. Right. And it's a lot easier for my neighbors to come to church if the church is close to them as well, right? right. It's hard to convince a neighbor to drive an hour through Toronto traffic on the 401. Drivers like Danphy <laughs> tailgating them on the way to church. I'm just joking.
0: <laughs> but,
1: you know, so I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think there's a lot of different reasons. Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good point.
0: Moving forward, let's talk about like the attitude that most people say, like, well, okay, I'm a Christian, but why do I need to why do you need to join a church? You know what I mean? Like, why do I need to join a church? I, I'm just, yeah. I can just go about being, doing good things. I don't need to join a church, you know, like what's the point of that? Yeah,
1: no, that's a good point. A lot of people say that, right? I, I have a relationship with God. I don't need to be part of church. Well, the the fact of the of the matter is, and I mean, you, you have to believe scripture, right? If you don't believe scripture, I can't really prove anything to you, but we read in scripture that the church is the body of Christ, right? So to, to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower is to be adopted, you know, mm-hmm. by God mm-hmm. as a as, as their son, as their daughter, into a family. You're adopted into a family with brothers and sisters, fellow Christians. You're part of a family unit that's mm-hmm. also the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. There's a it's a bunch of different aspects to this church, but you can't say, Well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not their brothers and sisters. They're not part of my family. Right. Being a Christian is being part of the family of God. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, there's no, I'm a spiritual, my own spiritual monad outside of this church that they're not my brothers and sisters. I just have direct relationship with God. It's like, no, by definition, when you are a believer and you're following Christ and you've been baptized into, you're baptized into a new life. And that new life is you're being reborn. You have a new birth, right? You're born again into a new family Mm -hmm. where you have brothers and sisters, this family which is the church so you you need to be part of the church there's no Christianity that's outside of this church okay and and that's so if, if you don't want to be part of the church then you don't really want to be part of God's family which is the church and that means you you don't really want to follow Christ because that's what being a Christian entails right it's it's all part of the same bucket right there's no there's no individual Christianity that's outside of this so it's, it's part of the commitment, right? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means a lot of things, right? It's not simply an individual relationship. And I think Jesus and uh, the apostles taught on this and we read it in scripture. And so, and this, I think honestly, people, when they say that are just, they're not informed, right? They don't know what it means really to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't read their Bible they, and they don't, they don't know, but there's following Jesus is, it's a life style, I don't want to say a lifestyle, but it's a—you're on a mission. Your your life is different. We read in Romans that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's true and proper worship. So it involves—it's not just a change in mind; it's a change in—it involves obedience to Christ as Lord, right? And we're it's, called to—it's not optional. we obedience to Christ is part of following Christ. It's not you know two separate things. And in Hebrews, uh, we're told you know, do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So we have a direct instruction in scripture that to be part of the church is to meet together mm-hmm. and do not do that. So if you say, well, I don't, well, then you're you're disobeying scripture. So do you want to follow, you know, the teachings of Christ and his disciples or not, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's it's all one and one together.
0: And that's not to say that it's not hard at times. It, it can be hard, but ultimately the, the heart of a believer is to follow Christ, even if they stumble. Um, quite a bit in that pursuit and you made the emphasis on like I think that the really key terms you use is like family and the body of Christ so because paul touches on the body in corinthians where he says like um you, your limbs your 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 actual limbs um, body if, if it decided to live outside of your actual body it would be absurd it wouldn't survive so if my fingers decided to detach itself from my hand and say you know I don't need his hand I don't need the hand because I can do my own thing or my arm decides to come out of socket and just try to survive on it so it would die and that's essentially what you are you are a limb when you decide to not be part of the body the church and you know, the family you're a limb that's trying to survive on its own it's just think about a limb walking around you only like, got so long you can only be on ice so long before you can't be reattached <laughs> yeah you can only survive for so long until like you know you're done um, so yeah, I think that's important what you said there. That's a good point.
1: So I, I, and so I I think like I mean to sum it up, I, I think that something that's important is the mission of the church is not its own mission, right? Each individual church, a lot of churches have mission statements. Our church does this. Our church does that. But ultimately, on a global scale, the mission of God's right. God has his mission to reconcile humanity to himself, mm-hmm. for the gospel to to go out, for his kingdom to advance as people hear the good news and decide to put their trust and faith in Christ and follow him. So the mission is God's mission and the church is simply following the leading of God's spirit in what it does. And sometimes obviously it doesn't uh, faithfully follow the leading of God's spirit. We've seen the errors, but I'm saying on a global and a broad scale, it's God's mission. And the church is simply following what God's already at work doing through his spirit and So I I think that's just important. And so, and we get to take part in that, right? We, that's something that we've been called to take part of as being part of the church. Um, There's an internal and there's an external aspect to the church, right? It's primarily for the body of Christ, um, you know, to edify the body, for the body to worship God. And we talked about how that, how that works externally as well and showing God's love. Um, But, you know, it's not about entertaining people, right? It's not about just a consumeristic thing. It's not just about entertaining people, um, on Sunday mornings with, you know, flashy lights and
0: some, uh, cool great, synthesizers with or the keyboard. Great ana- anecdotes, you know, funny, funny jokes. jokes. <laughs> yeah. We said at the same time. <laughs> um, and, and you know, that's so, that's so important because if the church becomes an alternate, like a, a, just a competing entertainment society, we'll never win because the world will always out entertain us. And that yeah. was—that's not why we were we, um, Christ established a church. It wasn't to entertain people. There's no way we can compete with the world. Take up your cross and follow me. Doesn't sound like entertainment to yeah, me. Yeah, no kidding. It's like die. Who that that's cross leads to death? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. And you know what? It's funny because Jordan Peterson has this quote. I'm going to share this quote, and I think it's—he's spot on. And he's not even a believer. I think he's getting close. Um, <laughs> we got to pray for him. But um, one of the things he said with regards to that, uh, just the mission, he says, the church. And I quote, the church doesn't demand enough of its young people by not demanding enough. It doesn't indicate its faith in their possibility. The church demands everything of you, absolutely everything. And the reason people are leaving is because the adventure isn't being put before them. Look, you can have your cars and your money and all that, but that's nothing compared to the adventure you could go on. And I end quote. I think that's so spot on. We're not because. It it, it, yeah. And it's like we, we don't. There's not there's not enough demand in the sense that like we try to make the load light so that people would come. It's kind of yes. like we want to get people in with cotton candy. Hey, look, it's really fun. And then when they come in and find out that there is a strong drink of commitment when you come to Christ, and they're like, whoa, 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 nobody told me about this. You told me to come get can cotton candy, and I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't want that, you know. But it's like if you bring people in with a strong drink of the gospel and the strong drink of commitment and the strong call of God, right? then they come in with purpose. You know, it's it's better to have a load. I think he goes on. We all want purpose. Exactly. We want We want to feel like we're a part of something. We want to feel like we're doing something. And what a great opportunity the church presents that you can be at the forefront of spreading God's message, engaging with the sick, the poor, the hungry, you know, going to the dark places of society and taking on the burden, you know, um, and knowing that Christ is with you, and He'll and He's carrying most of the burden. Like you're, it's not just like, yeah, it'll be hard, but He carries most of it. Do you know, and what we're I mean? given
1: a spirit to empower us to do this. Like yeah. we have the spirit of God inside of us, empowering us to do the things He calls us to do. And we've been reconciled with our Creator, you know, and we can have the opportunity to to help and be used to reconcile other people to God. What like what is more important than this? What is you know if you want a purpose for your life you know jesus says you know those who believe in me will never die right they'll mm-hmm. never perish you have the opportunity you know we have a culture and a society where life ex- extending your life expectancy you know there's books on this right like we're going to get to the point where you can extend our life expectancy with medical advances <laughs> it's like hey this is this is a life expectancy that's eternal. It's eternal. There's going to be a new creation. There's a new creation, right? That was inaugurated with Christ's resurrection and Christ was the first, the prototype, so to speak of this new body that those that desire to be reconciled to God will have on a new earth. That's perfect with no more tears, no more suffering, a perfect life that we all want. We all want this perfect life, right? Mm -hmm. We all want, you know, to, to be restored, to, to have our um, t- to be be able to live to our full potential of what God's created us even if you don't believe in God you want to be able to be at your full potential right um, but it's not even ultimately and the thing that we have to remind us, of, it's not even ultimately about us right it's this is about God it's God's story it's about God's glory he's it's his story he created us he created this from start to finish this amazing drama mm-hmm. right starting in the garden to Israel to Jesus this crazy apparent to some you know some of the things he said sound pretty crazy man mm-hmm. and yet this movement that has several billion followers and has lasted to this day and, and people and have died really part of that it. and and that that's only a taste of the things to come because mm. if what Christ taught and what the disciples taught is true, we have eternity with God that we can witness and experience them even greater, than, much, much greater than we can today, right? Like we mm-hmm. see them face to face on the new earth with no pain, no suffering. Like that's something to be joy, And that's our hope, right? That's the hope that we're given, the hope that we have as believers. And, you know, it's okay to have doubts, right? We all struggle with our doubts, but at the end of the day, we've got to make a decision with how we're going to live our life. And that's the hope that I'm going to place. You know, I don't think there's any better hope, honestly, that I've seen. There's no hope that I've experienced. And hey, I've seen the power of God in people's lives. I've seen people dramatically changed. I've seen miracles. I've seen things happen that I can't explain. And so this, to me, makes sense as the hope that I have for the future. And, and ultimately, it's not about me. It's about God's glory. And he is getting glory. You know, God is getting glory when people are being saved and reconciled to him. And people are being, being showing God's love. You know, he's getting glory through all of this and we only get to see it and experience a taste of of all the ultimate glory that you know God will receive and we will see um and that is is his it's all truly his in the world to come so yeah it's exciting and the church he's using the church and we get to be part of this this
0: giant story and I, and i think it's really exciting really no that's well put and it's it's just amazing to see yourselves as like mini actors within God's enormous drama he's you know he's um He's putting on and well said man i think we should uh we should end on that that's brilliantly said and i think if you're listening to this engage you know um take take upon you know this in invitation that god has given us to be part of this drama see yourself as as a as a as a as an important cog within this huge drama that he's he's doing and he's bringing about right if you're a christian and if you're not we encourage you to accept, accept, um, accept the gospel. It's the good news that God is not mad at us. He's not mad at, um, humanity. Like Bishop Barron said, we killed God and He came back and and said peace to us. You know, um, yeah. and and that's the gospel that God said peace to us when we said death to you, um, and He's saving us through His Son, and all it takes is faith in Him. Um, and he'll do the amazing thing of changing us and bringing about his glory. Brayden, thanks for coming on, man. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great. We'll have to do it again sometime. Sounds good.